you don't want to just send the same text message over and over and over again. You want to, and you don't want to just sell a product. Think about all the content that gets created, right? Put it in the right place. This is the Snarketing Podcast for marketers by marketers talking to marketers with just a touch of snark. Now, here are your hosts, Valerie Vespa and Matt Wurst. Okay, here we go. It is season two of the Snarketing Podcast, episode one. We are back. Valerie, hi. Hello. You have like the sexiest voice you've ever had. Well, I appreciate that. I'll be honest. After the the reason why we're starting in February is because there were two trips to Vegas for marketing related events so far this year, and my <laughs> casino voice because you know you can still smoke cigarettes in casinos. It's like bizarro to me. That is. But this is how I sound after three days at the Super Bowl. Let's be clear, Vegas. audience. Matt does not smoke cigarettes. He is against that <laughs> i not only do i not smoke cigarettes i don't even drink alcohol anymore so this is my i guess my resistance or tolerance to cigarette smoke has dropped in the 20 years since it was banned in new york city yeah yeah oh god uh, well maybe you need to pick up some other vice to keep your immune system strong <laughs> well i did do some gambling but the super bowl experience and extravaganza in las vegas was Really, unlike any other Super Bowl I've been to or any other event, it was such a mix of random sports fans from these teams, plus CMOs and CEOs of major companies all coming together in a neon lit, exciting, somewhat traffic heavy city for a few days. What did you, you think of the game, Taylor Swift and the commercials in that order? Um, the game itself, I felt like was very slow. And I think that's, you know, my personal opinion is when you have really strong defense, defense on both teams, it creates for a very lame scoring slash excitement. I don't know. It just didn't. Yeah. They should have just started with overtime, right? Just started overtime. (laughs) Exactly. I like whoever scored, not first. I mean, the overtime rules are cool. Like, one team scored a field goal, and then the other team scored a touchdown. Cool. Game over. That would have been fun. I mean... And you know what that would have done? That would have made the ads even more valuable. There'd be so I, the, few ads. The kicks were more interesting to me because, like, one was blocked, and the, another one almost was blocked. I, like, I was like, why are the kicks most exciting right now? Like, this is bizarre. We should move to Australia and watch Australian rules football then. <laughs> exactly. Is that cricket? No, it's not cricket. Cricket is a totally different game. Oh my god! Okay. Oh my god! Sorry. Let's move on because your your uh, your lack of wisdom here in this topic is maybe amusing to our listeners, but uh, it's it's not going to win us any points with the sports marketing community. Uh, any ads that stood out for you that you liked? Uh, I, I mean, Michael Sarah. Is it Michael Sarah? Yeah, Michael Sarah with the Cerave ad. I, I mean, I'm sorry. He just makes me laugh in general, and I just adore him. So, yes, that like that was my favorite. And what I found interesting about the ads were there were multiple religious-themed ones this year, which I thought was really just telling about the current state of affairs. Yeah, we had Jesus yep. came in with another spot. 
We had the stand up to hate and anti-Semitism spots. Scientology, uh, of course. Yeah, funded by, I mean, religion is big business. So let's not forget that uh, when I was out at the Super Bowl, there was a really interesting conversation I had with, I won't mention him by name, but let's just say a legend in the PR business, like all-time first ballot Hall of Famer, PR agency founder and lead. And we were talking about the PR around, not, not that we should get into this too deep, but like the Hamas-Israel challenges and how israel is now seen as this david mm -hmm. uh, in, sorry the, as the goliath uh, and the yeah. david versus goliath mm -hmm. and how it really has changed and he's like we need to think about what the pr strategy is and he's a very pro-israel um uh, just individual so it's interesting to see the super bowl become yet just another opportunity for marketing and messaging in that space big as well. big money as a Bostonian, what'd you think of the Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Tom Brady, Dunkings? I mean, they brought it. They brought it. I freaking love it. Are you kidding me? I know. I, I mean, it was kind of like a toss up. I thought it was a little bit much. I just thought I love Michael Sarah. But, um, but, you know, listen, I love my boys from Boston. Yeah, I would say overall it was a. It was one of the more memorable spots. I don't have many that I loved. In the past, I've had some that I loved and some that I hated. These were all very middle ground. For I liked the Stoke Cold Brew, Wrexham, Anthony Hopkins one, just because anything that Hopkins. maximum effort. <laughs> yeah, anything, anything Ryan Reynolds related, I will appreciate. But it was, you know, I don't know. It just kind of overall, maybe because I was jet lagged coming home on the red eye the day before, I just felt... I don't know. I didn't love it. But you know what I do love? The guests and the lineup that we have for season two. We have we the encore sophomore season is going to be incredible. It's a mix of agency, brand, technology, marketing, legends, luminaries. Uh, I'm excited for all of the conversations, but much like season one's roster which was incredible. Yes. Season one was great. I think we have to raise our game um, now that we have a little bit of notoriety. I, several people actually came up to me at the Super Bowl and be like, oh, I love your podcast. I'm like, what do you love about it? I, I wanted to challenge hey, actually, them. Actually, that, that's you know a what? great question. Because I want to give more of what they love and less of what they dislike. And you know what they dislike? Long intros. So let's get to our <laughs> first guest. Can we do yes, that? Absolutely. All right. Al is back. You know, the improvements in AI are, they are accelerating at just a magnitude at a pace that I can't keep up with. Everyone loves Al. So we obviously have him back, but we've improved Al's algorithm. And I think that his involvement this season is going to be even better. So Al, I would love for you to kick off season two by introducing our first guest. Here we go, season two of the Snarketing Podcast. Our first guest is the impressively entrepreneurial Katie Castillo-Wilson. She's the CEO and co-founder of Tap On It, an innovative text messaging tool for brand marketers. Let's get it started, Val and Matt. Hi, Katie, and welcome to season two of the Snarketing Podcast. You are our first guest in our sophomore season. Can you promise us that there will be no slump? Now that we've got you on finally. 
oh my gosh, no slump at all. And I am honored to be here. Thank you. Well, we've been trying to get you on as a guest for for all of the months that we've been recording, uh, <laughs> but excited to finally have you. You and I have known each other for several years, Yeah. but we've never really had an in-depth conversation about you. It's usually business or we're on the road somewhere together. So I am excited to just get to know more about you. Does that sound good? I, I, yes. I mean, if that's what you want to hear about, I'm happy to talk about me. I love talking okay. about me. Perfect. I, it, it's not going to be all about you, but it, we will oh. start with you and use that as a springboard to jump into either more or less exciting things, depending on where the conversation takes us. Sounds fantastic. Okay. So let's start from not the beginning, but oh, okay. as an entrepreneur who's got her own successful business, and your story is fascinating, um, tell us a little bit about how you got started. Was there a pivotal moment early on that created an aha light bulb moment for you that text messaging and SMS was going to change your life? Or was this something that you kind of just stumbled upon um, accidentally? Yeah. Um, well, so before I started Tap On It, I was in the media industry. I worked for Lee Enterprises. So I was a digital advertising director spent a lot of time helping other brands build databases and it was mainly email and then it was social media. And it was like 2013 where I, I think it was about then that you started to see more appointment confirmations, alert messages, and it was all still SMS, but it was really clear that that text message and the relationship with the cell phone number, like at that level was going to be big. And so I continue to watch for a little bit and just still continue to see SMS and you would see brands get into it, but you know, you're limited to 160 characters. It's boring, right? There's no pictures and in everything we do. And you guys know, we, we talk about a picture is worth a thousand words and you know, your brain processes images faster than it does words. And so it just didn't make sense. So I started looking around at what solutions could be presented and there weren't a whole lot available already in the MMS space. So I quit my job <laughs> um, in June of 2014 and I had a horrible PowerPoint. I had no clue what I was doing or you know how to raise money. I mean, I, at that point, I had two young kids. Um, you know, I, I was the sole income breadwinner, mom, all of that. Um, and so it was definitely a leap of faith, but I think that I just had no clue that it was going to be hard. And maybe that was me being naive, or it was just the fact that I had already had this picture in my head of exactly where we were going. And so it just, um, I just kind of happened and I ended up raising money locally completely by accident as well. I guess, again, I don't know, I'm big into manifesting, right? And I think you got to put it out there, right? So I started talking about the idea and I started telling people like the vision of everything that you can do in an email, you could also do in a text. And so, yeah, I stumbled across an opportunity. Actually, somebody was trying to hire me to do something else. And I'm like, nah, it's not really my jam. They're like, what do you want to do? And so I started telling him about what I wanted and I walked away with him as my first investor. So um, was there a pivotal point? I saw an opportunity. Uh, did I go to school or, you know, learn to become an entrepreneur? I think it's really only been within the past like month or so that I even started referring to myself as an entrepreneur. Um, so no, I, it was 
I just took a leap. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's been, it's actually been nine years now, almost nine years since we started the company, which is just insane. And so when you think about the challenges, there have been many challenges. One of the biggest that I think we all dealt with was COVID, right? And so at that point we had a major pivot, but even before then, um, I don't fit the mold of your traditional uh, tech founder, right? I'm a single mom, two kids, female, right? I'm Latina, I'm in Iowa, and I founded a tech company. And so when you think about all of those things mixed together- How many times have we heard that story? I feel like that's, no, I'm kidding. I know, right? <laughs> Everybody's doing it, but that's what I want is I want everyone to feel like they can do it. So like that's long-term goal, right? But um, again, I didn't know that it was gonna be hard. And so that's why I even took that chance. But the first million dollars that I raised, which was all local, right? And these were business owners and people that connected me with other business owners in the area. And I had a little bit of a reputation in the market just through my uh, time with Lee Enterprises. And so people knew I was smart. They knew I had good ideas. I had helped other people grow their businesses. And so I think that that's really what even got that first money. But I quickly learned that a million dollars is not shit when it comes to trying to build a company, right? And so, pardon my French, I am not French, but um, <laughs> so I quickly, alongside with my sister, who's my co-founder, and Rachel, who's been, she was with us from the very beginning, we're like, okay, we need to be able to monetize this now. What do we do to make money? And, you know, in my prior life, I had also built up a competitive program to Groupon. Um, and, you know, it was all email based for Lee Enterprises. It was hugely successful. Um, we kept Groupon out of the market here. And while I loved, you know, the success that we saw, and I loved the idea that we were able to drive traffic for local businesses and get consumers out and about, the whole revenue share thing just doesn't make sense for small businesses. And so we took the this technology that we had started building and we launched something that's now called Tap on It Deals. And it's much smaller now than it was early in the in the company but the whole concept was people signed up to receive offers and promotions from a large variety of businesses you know mainly restaurant retail entertainment um, via text and so our proprietary platform that we built allows you to include multiple images in a single mms message and we're the only ones who are doing that and then there's a whole lot of other things that happen past that we have what we call a content hub which was really at that point more like the marketplace for your deals right, for your offers and promotions. Um, so we launched that here in the Quad Cities in April of 15, and it took off. Um, businesses were getting insane results. Our database grew faster than I could have imagined. Um, you know, if you were to look at my original performa, it was like, okay, if we send out, you know, if we have 10,000 people in a market and we send out three ads three times a week, so nine ads total, this is huge. And by the end of the first year, we had 18,000 people and we had a really cool sharing tech uh, function that grew our database organically. 
Um, the consumers loved it. Like everything was just going the right way. And so continue to grow that. In uh, January of 18, I ended up raising money from Gannett. And I can tell you that in the time from like 2016 to 2018, the conversations that I had while attempting to raise money were awful. I mean, it was awful, right? Like I had one person literally pat me on the head and tell me it was sweet that I made it this far. Um, I had another person say, if this is such a great idea, why didn't someone else do it? Why would you Feel want to name names, by the way, numbers? if you'd like, if you, you want, know, right? Someday when no, I write a book, depending on how things continue to go, there may be names. I don't know. I'm just kidding. So all of those. Instead of the me too moment, if we're past me too, maybe, hopefully, but you could just call it the fuck you moment at this point. Right. So I always have joked that someday I'm going to have a really big party and I'm going to send out all these invitations and the people who, you know, I mean, this will be after we sell the company. It's going to be on a lovely boat somewhere tropical. Pink is going to be headlining. So if anybody knows pink, I, I'm going to need an intro there. Um, <laughs> I can get you an intro. Yeah. Stop it right send now. her a text message. Just became... Just send her. Stop. Okay. We'll come back to that. But um, you know, I'm going to send out all the invitations to all these people who have had such a positive influence in my life, big, small, our company, the growth, all of that. And then for the people who don't, they're going to get uh, invitation-ish, but it's going to open on the front. It'll be like, I'm having a really big party and you're not invited. Sorry. Um, I, I think I've dropped a lot of that bitterness and it seems like an unnecessary expense. And so I probably won't actually do it, but there's been a lot of that along the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to the whole raising money thing, it, it's, it's hard. Um, you know, I think it's 2.7% of all venture funds raised actually goes to female founded companies. Um, and I think one of my biggest frustrations over the years is that, you know, as you raise money, I mean, we started out as a female founded, female owned, female run company. We are still a female founded and female run company, but we are no longer a female owned business because the face of the people who are investing in most companies are not women. And so, you know, that's something that someday I hope to be able to make an impact towards. Um, I don't have a plan on how to do that yet, but that's part of the goal is that, you know, the definition of owned not necessarily be defined just by a cap table. And so um, that's also something that we're working towards is actually flipping the table back to being woman owned because there are so many benefits. There's clubs that I can't even get into. And it's like, I want to be part of that network. And so it's a big deal. Um, right. You know, like I said, COVID was a major shift too. You know, we had raised money from Gannett in 2018 that propelled our growth of tap on a deals further. 2019 was probably the coolest year ever. It was the first year we went to Cannes. We went to Southwest, South by Southwest. I mean, all of these things where you know, we were really starting to grow. And at the end of 2019, um, I was in Cabo with my family, my mom, the kids, my sister, who, as I said, is my co-founder. And we're like cheersing the best year ever and excited for 2020 and had all these plans, um, including a nationwide sweepstakes, giving away a trip to Greece for you and seven of your friends that started on March 2nd. And so a week later, a yacht looked like a cruise ship and then nobody could leave the country. So... <laughs> everything that we had built. And I mean, we had doubled the revenue year over year and the tap on a deals business model is still a hugely, it's a huge opportunity. We're still active here in the quad cities, but it's not our main focus because throughout that first year of the pandemic, we pivoted to a software as a service platform, which going back to the original business plan that I had written, 
that was the goal. Build a platform where businesses of all sizes can start to communicate with people via text in a similar manner that they would via email. And so that's what we're doing now. And, you know, our platform, what we've built, and it's 100% proprietary. It's a no-code solution. We work with businesses of all sizes. And, you know, whether it is somebody who is a big brand looking to communicate with their audiences through things like abandoned cart messages or whatever, but also just people who create content that should be seen because email open rates aren't what they used to be. Audiences are fragmented. You can't control your social media algorithm and budget. But if people sign up to receive your text messages, you have a 99% open rate, 90% within three minutes of being received. And with our platform, you can put images of multiple pieces of content right there, which increases the likelihood that people actually connect and click through. It's seriously, like I think about someone tapping me on the head in like a business meeting and I think I would like go off the rails, but like that was probably a younger version of myself going off the rails. So like, like how is, how have you evolved from like the tap on the head on the earlier conversations to now? Well, on the money side, you know, I mean, it was grin and bear it, right? Like that's what it was, you know, smile, nod, shake the hand, walk away yeah. and, you know, grumble on my way home hundreds of times. Right. And grumbling is a nice description of what I was doing. But um, now I'm so picky about who I even spend my time with. And the questions that I ask before I'll even walk into a room are completely different. Because if you do not understand the value of what we are building before we get it, even get on the phone, then I don't even want to talk to you. Like if you did not spend the time to look up my company, to look up me, to have an idea of where we've been and the path that we're going to, then clearly you do not think that I am worthy of that type of research. And I'm not going to get on the phone. I'm not going to waste my calls, my time. And so I'm selective about who I spend time with, where I spend my time, what events I go to, what rooms I'm in. And it has taken a very long time to be comfortable with that. And I have had just, I mean, this past year, honestly, has I want to say it's been one of the hardest, but I can't even necessarily say that that's true because there's been so many different ways of things being hard, right? Um, I've learned over the years that I am built for hard things. And, you know, and so I've got very broad shoulders. I can carry it. And um, when it comes to my team and being a leader, I've learned that one, there's only so much information that you can and should share with the people on your team because as the CEO, it is my job to make sure that we have the funding, to make sure that people are getting paid, to make sure that we're continuing to grow, that people know what their job is and they feel empowered to be able to do that and then trust that they are. But along the way, I also have to make sure that they trust that I'm going to continue to do my job, right? And so sometimes people may say that they want to be involved in these other processes and not everybody can handle the rejection that comes along with raising money. and that's okay because that's my job, right? And so I've learned to grin and bear it. I've learned to be pickier about who I talk to. And I've also learned to be really picky about who I take money from. Um, you know, when you think about raising funds, especially through COVID and early on, clearly my statement earlier about us no longer being woman owned, I took money from where I needed to in order to get to where I I am now. Um, I learned early on, though, that it didn't have to be done in the traditional, like, you raise a seed round, you have a series A, da, 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 da. You know, I mean, honestly, like, that's, 
I mean, it's part of the game, I guess, but I don't really like playing games. Instead, I have a path towards profitability. And so we take money when we need it and instead, and we spend it wisely. I mean, we are true operators of the business. We manage a P&L, we manage the top line, we look at our margins. And as we're doing that, you know, we are looking at, do we raise funds or do we, one, again, and this should always be the goal, focus on the top line, right? Like let's fund our business through revenue and debt. And so, you know, convertible notes were how we survived through the pivot um, to SaaS. Those converted last year. And now as we're always kind of raising money and now I am a little bit more aggressively, but um, I want it to come from people that understand the value of turning the cap table back. And so we are selective about who we even talk to. When you were talking about like... (laughs) Being more selective with who or from whom you take money, to be grammatically accurate, that also includes client brands. You can be more selective with whom you're working as well, right? You've worked with some incredible ones. Are there some standout campaigns that you can share that demonstrate just how effective and simple this solution is? Um, I think Crystal, and I know you've had Casey uh, Terrell on your podcast before. Yeah, we have. Last season, all the way back to last season. Yeah. He is the best. He is the best. He is the best. He is such an out of the box thinker. And, you know, I did meet him through Brand Innovators, which was cool. But um, so a little plug to them, I guess. Um, But, you know, we had an opportunity (laughs) to work with Casey through Crystal, the fast food chain that is part of SPB Hospitality. And they were just getting started in text messaging and they were open to doing it differently. And so if you actually opt in to get Crystal's text messages, you'll see the way that they use emojis. Um, Our platform includes the ability to like really create robust messages. Like you can do an animated GIF, you can do the multiple images, you can do a single image, but even in like the body of text, you can have bolded font, you can have italics, like you don't see other people doing this. And so when I get their messages, it's so different than everyone else. And so, and they're already seeing a very positive return on that investment. And now we're going to be rolling out across some of their other um, brands, which is super exciting. Uh, Museum of Ice Cream is another one that uh, took a really creative approach to growing their database and used our AI, um, which is continuing to grow, but they used our, our AI platform, portion of the platform to help give people their ice cream names. So you, when you go to a Museum of Ice Cream, before you get in and you start your journey through all of that, which is so fun, you are given your ice cream name. Now, even before you get there, you can sign up for their text club and respond, I think, with the word name um, or go to a landing page, which is all powered by us. And at one point through that flow, it'll ask for your name. And once you get that, you'll get your unique, personalized ice cream name back. And I'm doing this now, just, by the way. I think, I think I'm Sprinkle Johnson. Is that a name? Is that possible? I'm not there well, yet. It depends, on, I want... it depends on what you put in as your name. Well, um, we did. Okay. We did, uh, I won't tell you what this, the prompts were that I used. Which we did uh, take <laughs> consideration things like bad words and inappropriate um, names. So the, the engine knows to tell you, no, Matt, it will not well, give you your ice cream not, name. Depending do on not what get a there. scoop of Sprinkle Johnson. I prefer not. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, there have been some super fun use cases. 
Um, I've got some really big projects that'll be launching later that we're not uh, necessarily able to talk about. That'll be coming out later this year where it's taken our flow builder and conversational messaging tool. And I mean, you're talking about engagement that can go on. I mean, I was looking at the flow chart that they've built for these messaging, the messages, and it's huge. And it's based on information that you provide back and, you know, the responses, how you answer questions, you know, all of these different things. And it just, it continues to go on it, seemingly forever. And, and then being able to actually go to this brand, ask questions, get responses, um, have a true conversation that's either partially controlled with AI, templated or, you know, canned responses. And then depending on how far they need to go, it actually then brings in humans to um, truly engage and build the relationships, which is what consumers want, right? Like they want to feel like the brands know them. They want to feel like the brands are trustworthy that, I mean, all of those things and having that level of um, communication builds loyalty. And so, I mean, that's where we're really setting people up is that you don't want to just send the same text message over and over and over again. You want to, so you true. don't want to just sell a product. Think about all the content that gets created, right? Put it in it's, the right place. It's, it's so, I would imagine that like for you, one of the bigger challenges is not your product because it seems like yeah. you're evolving and developing amazing, you know, things there. Um, but it's really just the, on the client side, controlling the use of the, 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 the output of your product. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been, and I, and, and I guess like my question to you was sort of like, what are the current challenges you have? But I feel like that must be a huge one in terms of like really showcasing what your, the power of your product. I think our, our biggest issue, it's definitely not our platform. Our platform is super robust. It's super easy to use. Like I said, it yeah. doesn't matter what size business and Matt, you've experienced using it. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's very user-friendly and, um, for us, it's an awareness problem because we have not raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and we've been around now for nine years. One, people will say things like, why aren't you bigger? And I'm like, why didn't you start your own company? Um, but I don't say that. I, I think it in my head and say it later out loud to someone else. Um, but it's like- The fuck you, you world tour continues. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm not bitter. I'm no. You shouldn't be. You're lesson. incredibly successful. Thank you. But no, every um, every success comes with challenges. So yeah. Well, and as long as you're learning, I always joke. You know, it's like I learned the hard way and the expensive way, but it only takes takes once. Like every lesson that I've learned plays into every decision that we're making now. And you know, when you think about decisions you make in the past and. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I regret that. I, you don't make a decision knowing that you're going to regret it in the future. You make a decision based on the information that you have at that time. And it's the best the, the best decision for me, for my company, whatever, at that time. And we've learned and continue to grow and you know change for that uh, through that. So now looking from the past to the future, are there strategies that you find most effective for a brand or marketers to be engaging? customers and consumers in digital age, like where do you see the future of MarTech, since that's kind of the world we sure. inhabit? Like, where is that going in the next five years? Is this gonna continue to be, I'm holding up my phone, reader, listener, yes. whoever, but is that is that the way the, of the future? Like, is it still mobile first? I mean, first of all, if I knew the complete way of the future, I'd be super freaking rich, but I don't. Um, I think that the number one thing that 
we can plan on always being the point of contact is your cell phone number, right? I think that mobile is, yes, the way of the future. Having That's not going to change, your, right? My phone number is mm-hmm. going to be with me till I die. And that's exactly right. And so for these brands, and when I say brand, I mean anything from, you know, a D to C e-commerce, restaurant, retail, entertainment, um, content creators, like that's a, that is a, and like influencers, that is an industry that I am actually worried for because they're building their entire livings on someone else's audience. Right. And if at some point you get canceled or the algorithm no longer is in your favor, where do you get your money? And, you know, in some cases, I'm no longer seeing people that I would still like to hear from because someone else decided that I shouldn't. And so they need to own those audiences. They should be building texting databases. And we've made it really easy for them to do that so that they can say, hey, do you still want to hear from me? And if people say no, okay, you don't. But chances are, not that many people, the opt-out rate is so low. Churn is so low in messaging. And so if you can get to the point as a brand of any type, political content, you know, I mean, even engaging with your employees and, you know, and you do it well, one, they're not going to opt out. Two, it's not spam because they signed up to receive it, right? Like they opted in to receive that message. And three, you have the path to connect to them in whatever comes next, because you can text them and say, let's connect on WhatsApp, let's connect on WeChat, let's connect on whatever form of social media or brainwaves or I don't know, whatever comes after that. Is there a backlash? I mean, I don't know, Valerie, you, you and I were talking about this, right? Like the, um, what was your question? It was like balancing ethical considerations around data privacy, right? Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. do that, knowing that marketing is going to continue to get stricter, consumer trends towards owning their own content, their own data is going to become, I don't know, what's what's one step beyond zeroth party data? Are we looking at like negative one <laughs> first party data? Like what is that something that you guys are discussing, how to navigate that? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a huge point of discussion for us because people are opting in. They pick and choose what information they're giving. And so, you know, we have the ability for brands to ask questions. And if people want to respond to the questions, they respond. That information then can be used in future messaging, right? So you can do all of the targeting, the segmenting, you know, building audiences and, you know, segment those messages based on information they've provided or behavior engagement with your messages or your content hub or wherever you go next. So it's not necessarily as much about privacy and having to worry about stepping over the line because the consumer, the person who is subscribing gets to pick and choose what they tell you and and they can end it. Right. I mean, all they have to do is reply, stop. And it's over. At least that's how it should work. You know, it seems really hard. Those four letters. I mean, I don't think I've ever done it. You could also send end or quit unsubscribe or cancel i've i've done unsubscribe yeah that's what i've yep. done yeah All of it's those so work. easy maybe it's that'll be my very late new year's resolution to just unsubscribe to the crap and focus more on opting in for wonderful text messages from tap on it partners i think that's a fantastic idea i, I gotta tell you <laughs> the, there's like a huge line of demarcation in terms of like the benefits of the text 
texting content that I receive versus just like the same 20% off like messaging. Like I got like a press one, two or three to delay your shipment of these vitamins. And I was like, Thank oh my you. gosh, that's so great. So now I'm not getting this. Yes, it was just such a- Well, you should be taking yeah. your vitamins, Valerie. Anyway. I don't know. I don't, maybe you shouldn't be delaying that. But like for me, <laughs> it was a hair point. care product where they were like, you know, do you, it's set to schedule then. And I'm like, I don't need it yet. So I was able to click through so quick, super you know quick and change. Good note. Uh, I'm going to unsubscribe to all hair care products right now. You'll save a Good fortune, note. obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a little late, a little late. So I, I am... I am still obsessed with the fact that you're a Latina female navigating the entrepreneur world in Iowa, nonetheless, <laughs> like tech, the tech market. I mean, I think it's really impressive. And I think, you know, hopefully we can help you scale your Thank business you. to more people so they understand what you're doing. Um, but Or meet um, the other one know, think, of uh, the entrepreneur female uh, Latina women in, yeah, no. in Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, that no, I'm just kidding. There are, I mean, obviously there are, but there's also, I've seen um, like, and I know of several female tech founders now in Iowa that I, I hope that I inspired them to take that step. And, you know, I'm, we've got to support each other no matter where you're from. And that's the whole thing too, is it's like, it's not just about being a woman in Iowa. It's about being a woman anywhere. It's about not necessarily fitting that same mold. And, you know, like our overarching headline to our core values is different by design. And, you know, the path we've taken to get here was different. It is different. The way we go about doing things when it comes to our technology, the way we engage with customers, everything we do is very different from the way that other people are doing it. And I think it's led to stronger relationships. It's led to, you know, raving fans, which is always one of those things that I've wanted to achieve and to maintain. And so um, there are a whole lot of people everywhere, not just in Iowa, that, you know, because they see the statistics of 2.7%, they don't even try. And, you know, yeah, yeah, I know. What, what, when you say you, you hope that you've provided some sort of support or, you know, kind of been a trailblazer for them like what what like it, it's nice because you have a small community there I, I I think like being in New York it seems yeah. so overwhelming in terms of how to create community um but like what what is what are some of the th ways in which you try to give back and support those going through the same um, thing so pretty much any time that I get asked to do something in the community when it goes to the co local colleges speaking at different events things like that as often as possible I say yes now, with that being said, I can't necessarily say yes all the time anymore because things have gotten busier and which is good. That's what we should all want. Then the people who heard me speak later can say, oh shit, she was talking about that and now she's there. So everything she said is true, right? Like if I put it out there and they understand what I want and then they see those goals be achieved, I mean, that's going to increase the likelihood that they will even take that first step, right? Because it's proof that it can be yeah. done. Um, you know, if somebody reaches out and asks for a phone call, which, you know, I, I tell them to, you know, I say message me on LinkedIn, you know, my cell phone number is and it's freaking everywhere. Um, so, but I welcome it. I mean, I spoke at a, uh, woman in business or with the entrepreneurial program at the university of Iowa a couple of years ago, one, I took my daughter with, which was 
so cool. She's 19 now. She's a freshman at Iowa State. And I think it was the first time that, I mean, obviously my kids, now they're both in college. But when I started this, they were in elementary school. And, you know, they are two of the coolest humans you will ever meet. And part of it is because we did this together, right? When I think about some of those really bad days and, you know, you're crying yourself to sleep or need someone to pull you off the ground, which those aren't the things that people talk about, right? They don't talk about that stuff. My kids did that. And, you know, they are strong and determined and, you know, I mean, passionate and loyal and hardworking because they saw what we've gone through to get to where we are now. And, you know, being at that class at the University of Iowa full of women, and I said at the end, I'm like, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give is to learn how to network. Um, Because if you can network with people in a way that is authentic and, you know, memorable, it sets us all up for success. And so I'll tell them, connect with me on LinkedIn. You have my information here. If at some point there is something that I can do to help you be successful, reach out. And that's led to phone calls. I mean, even if you send an email that's like, hey, it was great meeting you, blah, 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 blah. Then later, decades later, you could say, reply (laughs) and be like, hey, Katie, you probably don't remember me or you may not remember me. Um, but we met at blah, 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 blah. And here's what I'm doing now. I wondered if you have any advice or you'd be willing to chat or whatever. It's not hard, but it's something that you have to learn how to do and actually do. So true. I I remember talking to like 30 interns at my company and I think two or three connected with me on LinkedIn after saying like, please connect. And so it's just interesting, the odds of people just not doing that. And it's like, just a basic, like the networking thing is so important. I really believe it's not hard. You plant those seeds, right. And you walk away and you, you know, you you nurture them very lightly and nature kind of takes over. Um, Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Look, we're, we're three people in three different places talking. We all met connected and have overlapping shared interests. Um, Hopefully our futures will continue to converge, but in the interest of tapping into and maybe tapping on it, not physically, because we don't do that. But um, as someone who has successfully launched a platform, a company, and who has snarkily told us that you have told other people, at least in your head, to um, or challenge them and ask them why they haven't started their own company. If there was like a another challenge, problem opportunity that you wanted to solve or could create a product now from scratch like what would you do now totally separate from tap on it but like what's one thing that you'd want to create in tech and how would you bring it to market well one i can't tell you what my plans are for my next uh adventure oh these are not because... hypothetical it sounds like okay so <laughs> yeah i mean i do have a couple of other ideas that you know you have to be careful right because i think that once you have an idea and you realize that you can actually do something with that idea, next thing you know, they just start flowing, right? And sometimes what happens is that people will get distracted by the new idea and they don't necessarily wrap up what's happening over here or take it as far as it can go, or you know, they let it fizzle out. And one, I have a responsibility to my team to not do that, right? I have a responsibility to my investors to continue to grow. I feel, and I mean, no pressure, right? That I have a responsibility to women across everywhere 
to be successful, right? Like, so I can tell my story. And that's where I picture. I picture someday I will write a book. I will, you know, I want to travel all over the world. And I plan to travel all over the world telling my story because I think it can help other people realize that they should do it too. Um, wow, I completely lost my train of thought, which happens sometimes. So well, it was it was about staying focused. So I think job well done. Oh, there you go. That was perfect then. So you do. You have to... Wow. Uh, you have to be careful <laughs> about getting distracted with new ideas. And so, um, but knowing what I know now, I would try to not raise money. I would try to partner. I would try, and I mean, it depends on what your idea is, right? I mean, if it's technology and it's, I need this much money to even get started, it's very hard, if not impossible to get a loan to do that now depending on if you can bootstrap or you have a successful track record, it might be easier. But if you are going to raise money, find someone who understands not just what it is you want to build and how is it going to work and how is it going to make money, but why, why are you going to build it? What is the long-term vision? And do they see that same picture that you're painting in their head as you are, because if they can't get on the same page as you early on, they're not going to be on the same page as you later at all. And so making sure that you're tracking things the same way is going to be really important. Um, knowing what you want and what you don't want and what you're building and why you're building it and what you see for the future um, is important to understand. So you know what you're cool with and what you're not. Well, asking and then answering those hard questions is what we try and do here on the Snarketing yep. Podcast. But you've done a great job of sharing more than we could have ever hoped for <laughs> as far as your background and your experiences. We are going to shift in these final waning minutes to some easy questions. But they are going to be fast, like lightning quick, lightning round, six questions in 60 seconds. We okay. are going to hold you to the timer, though. Fuck. Actually, maybe we won't, but we'll see. Um, are you ready, though, Katie? Four, I, gone I'm in ready. 60 seconds. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. We're going to put the time on the clock, and we're going to get started with first question. Tell us about your morning routine. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? I write in my gratitude journal. I usually brush uh, my teeth. First of all, I'm grateful to get out of bed in the morning, right? I brush my teeth. I do those things. And then I sit down and I take time to myself to remember everything that I have to be grateful for, because that is what's going to help me get to the place that I want to be. Okay. What is your go-to comfort food in moments of stress or moments of just relaxation? Animal crackers. The original animal crackers <laughs> or like store-bought, like... The, Second generation. the giant five gallon <laughs> bucket that you get at uh, Sam's or Costco. Okay. So it may not be quality. It may be quantity at that point. Uh, yeah. It's, okay. It's weird. <laughs> okay. Um, knowing you want to travel a lot, dream vacation, your ideal vacation destination. I want to take my family and this would be my kids and their kids and whatever else. And my closest friends and be somewhere like, I don't know, Bali, something like that, where it's like the beautiful water, the ocean, sunshine, beaches. Uh, Maldives. And, like, yes, yeah. exactly. An actual vacation where I get to rest and relax because we take trips, we travel and explore, but that would be a vacation. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, last book you read 
or listen to? Uh, oh, shoot. I, I just read Britney Spears' book. Um, I finished that, I guess, a couple of weeks ah! ago. Uh, it was interesting. It was insightful. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. All right, Valerie, hit She's me, baby, one more time with one more question. Okay. Um, what's the most unusual talent you possess? Uh, I can sing the ABCs backwards really fast. Ooh. Is that a talent? I don't know if that's a talent. I don't know. Can you do an it? Annoying, it's an annoying habit. It's impressive. Uh, can you do it? I didn't say it's not impressive. It's just, I don't know if it's a talent. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure. I'm like, I don't know. I, I have a, I have a skill for um, finding the good side in just about everything. Oh, I like okay. that. Last question. Good. I love that. Last question, because time is running out. One word to describe your vision for the future. Impactful. Hmm. Well, you have impacted us, Katie. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for kicking off season two with a bang. <laughs> we look Thank forward you. to seeing you on the road in our text messages and to our impactful future. Thank you. Thanks. This was great. Wow, what a great way to start the second season of the Snarketing Podcast. Katie Schur has some great stories to tell, but sounds like the best is still to come. Which hopefully is true for all of us, otherwise that would be pretty depressing. See you on the next episode.